Welcome to the Dr. Aaron L. Albert Show. I am your host, Aaron Albert, and we're going to talk about a variety of topics, both inside healthcare, life sciences, and pharma, as well as outside. In this podcast, I'll share with you some of the best tips, tricks, best practices, books, and resources out there to help you live a better life. So stay tuned, an episode is just up next. Hey everybody, it's Erin Albert. I'm back with another show, and this one is completely serendipitous, which I love, love, love. Erin Zagadilov was kind enough to reach out to me and she actually filled out a form that I had back in October where I was shopping for amazing pharmacists doing cool stuff and life got in the way for whatever reasons and I didn't get to her in pharmacist month. So I wanted to double back before the new year, new decade, and talk to her because she is an expert in an area that I get a lot of questions around, but I don't have a lot of information on myself. And that's in the space of health economics and outcomes research, HEOR, H-E-O-R. I'm sure you've heard that acronym used. And if you're in pharmacy land and you, like me, don't know that much about it, you definitely want to check out this episode with Erin. She is great at talking about and breaking down how she went about carving this career path for herself. She also provides some recommendations on organizations to get connected with around health economics and outcomes research, fellowships in HEOR as well, and then kind of her day-to-day work and what she does and what she loves to do around her work in health economics and outcomes research. Last but not least, we talk about honeybees, believe it or not. So give a listen to my conversation with Erin Zagadilov, who is a Director of Health Economics and Outcomes Research for Rare Diseases. All right, well, we have a special guest today with us who reached out to me proactively back in October when it was National Pharmacist Month, and I dropped the ball because I had so many other things going on. But I wanted to circle back with this professional because she has a really interesting career path and one that I get asked about all the time. Her name is Dr. Erin Zagadilov, and she is Director of Health Economics and Outcomes Research for Rare Disease with a small commercial stage biotech company. So with that, I am excited to have her join us today and talk about HEOR. I know it's an area that I get a lot of questions in, and I wanna pick her brain about her passion for honeybees. So Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. It's a pleasure to be here. I have to state upfront that all the opinions and views I present today are my own and not of my employer. And I'm excited to be here today. I'm not really selling anything or promoting anything. I try to think of myself as a true advocate for non-traditional pharmacy careers, and in particular, the field of HEOR and market access. So I'm thrilled to be here to talk about that today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm so glad that you reached out. Again, HEOR is an area that I get asked about, or HECON. I don't know which, which acronym you're supposed to use, but I always inevitably like to start with the first same question of all my guests when we talk about career discussions. So Aaron, how did you get to where you are today in your own career? 
It's a great question. And, and when you sent me this question ahead of time, I realized that the answer I was drafting or formulating was more about the what did I do to get here, not the how. So I'm going to talk a little bit about both, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think the how um, really drills down to three main things for me. Mentors guiding me along the way, advocating for myself, and employing a fierce sense of focus in terms of what I want to achieve and what I want to spend my time on. I think that's the how, um, but talking about the what I think is important too. I initially, as a um, high school student, believe it or not, approached the pharmacist at the local Eckerd near my house and told him that I thought about pharmacy as a career and I wanted to get some exposure to it before I spent, you know, two years and hundreds of thousands of dollars and change majors. So as a 16 year old, I might be dating myself a little bit here, but um, this was before they changed the law that you had to be 18 to work in a pharmacy. But as a 16 year old, I started working for Eckerd and um, eventually went on to pharmacy school at Duquesne University. And when I was at Duquesne University, there was a management concentration that was available to students, and I decided to take that management concentration. I was working for Eckerd, which turned into Rite Aid all throughout, uh, all throughout pharmacy school and all throughout college, and I sort of looked at that management track as a way to advance myself within the retail industry. Part of that management ele elective or management track included um, an elective course in pharmacoeconomics taught by uh, Professor Khalid Kamal. And it really opened my eyes to a number of possibilities and potential career paths and um, kind of linking it back to the how. And that first thing I mentioned was mentors guiding me along the way. He was definitely key in one of those, but um, he approached me and sort of told me that I had a knack for this and I could really make a nice career out of it. And um, with his guidance, I decided to do an appy with a strategic consulting services group called Accenda, and they're a part of Amerisaurus Bergen. So I did a, an advanced practice elective um, rotation with Accenda, and that exposed me to a number of things um, uh, on the strategic consulting side. And they do a lot of um, different types of strategic consulting for pharmaceutical manufacturers. So exposed me to a number of things during that appy, but I eventually decided to apply for their HEOR fellowship and a number of other HEOR fellowships. I primarily focused on fellowships that provided a master's degree as part of the fellowship. Um, it was important to me to focus on degree granting fellowships because I felt like that additional degree was something that could be of value to me long term as opposed to a certificate program. Um, so I eventually landed at Accenda where I did that appy and I stayed on post fellowship with them for a few years until I was eventually hired by a client who had asked me to join him at Takeda Oncology, which gave me a foot in the door on the industry side. So making that jump from consulting to industry um, really had to leverage my network and mentors there to do that as well. Um, I spent some time at Takeda for, for four years in two different roles, really, initially in research and development as part of the global outcomes research team in a true evidence generation role focusing on patient reported outcomes in clinical trials, real world evidence projects, and other types of observational studies. 
But what I was really missing in that role was the business side and my roots and my interest in health economics. So I ultimately made an internal transfer to Takeda's global market access team, where I spent two years there, focused more in a commercially oriented role um, in, on value demonstration, patient access, pricing, and of course, health economics. Um, I spent four years there at Takeda Oncology and kind of felt like I needed a new challenge, which is why I changed jobs about six months ago and it led me to the role that I'm in right now. Awesome. So let's talk about your current role. So I, I joined Agios about six months ago as Director of Health Economics and Outcomes Research in Rare Genetic Disease. I am leading all of our HEOR efforts for rare genetic disease. And I initially spent a lot of my, albeit short careers thus far, in oncology and um, at the time, I felt like I was ready to make a change or a move in my career. I sort of fundamentally had to ask myself, well, why am I making a change? And primarily that was because I wanted a challenge. And at the time, I had a number of offers presented to me, um, some that were also in oncology. And I decided ultimately to join Agios because rare genetic disease was something new for me and I wanted a challenge and I certainly got what I asked for. <laughs> So, Aaron, it sounds like you had the, the luck of a fellowship opportunity combined with a master's program to really serve you well in educating you around HECON and HEOR. What about maybe a pharmacy student um, who doesn't have that opportunity? What suggestions do you have for him or her around getting educated and learning more about HECON and or HEOR? Is it a rotation or... What are your suggestions there? Yeah, I think there's a number of things. Being active in ISPOR, which is an organization that I've been active in since I was a pharmacy student. I know most pharmacy schools, maybe not all of them have student chapters. ISPOR, I, is my, in my opinion at least, is sort of the thought leader organization around all things health economics, outcomes research, and market access. They have a number of opportunities to learn through their organization, um, short courses. And I also think that um, rotations are very few and far between and tend to be concentrated geographically in certain areas, which I think put some schools at a disadvantage. You see a lot of those rotations kind of in the New Jersey or Boston area, maybe some in San Francisco, where a lot of the geographically pharmaceutical companies are are located maybe in in um, Indiana with with um, Lilly but um, the it's I think it's hard for for students who aren't close to those areas to get access to appies that expose them to industry unless they're willing to shell out money and travel and pay for housing and that kind of thing and sometimes logistics can get in the way. But I think in a lot of ways, advocating for yourself and networking is, is really key. You'd be surprised, I think, what people are willing to um, open themselves to um, in terms of shadowing experiences or even just getting on the phone with them to talk about their experience and kind of what it takes to get into those types of roles. Um, it's That would kind of be my recommendation. I think in a lot of ways, I was listening to a podcast a few months ago um, that, or a few weeks ago, really, that the Black Keys were on, um, a rock band, indie band. I'm not sure if you're familiar, Aaron, but um, 
the the interview had asked the the Black Keys kind of how does an indie band make it in today's music industry and their response was something to the effect of there is no one path you kind of have to forge your own and that the music industry was so dynamic and changing with streaming and everything and technology and that there was no one way to make it and I think there's a lot of parallels to that in pharmacy right now too um, that there's really no one way I mean fellowships are a great tool they're kind of I think the most common path to HEOR, um, but it's certainly not the only way. And I think if there's a specific type of role or job that a student desires, that they really should be getting in front of those people who are in those roles currently and ask them what it takes or ask them who's hiring and um, ask those types of questions of the people who are in the roles that you are trying to seek out. By the way, ISPOR is the Professional Society for Health Economics and Outcomes Research. I know we love our acronyms in, in this industry, so I just wanted to break that down for the audience. Erin, um, what do you love about health economics and outcomes research? What I love about HEOR is that there's so much opportunity for collaboration and it is also very highly strategic. I think in some ways, a lot of pharmaceutical companies or manufacturers sort of view HEOR as a support function as opposed to a lead function like marketing or medical affairs. I think some companies are better that, than others in seeing the value of HEOR professionals. But my two cents is that HEOR is often the bridge between the science, the discovery, and the business and the patient access side. In a lot of ways, HEOR professionals kind of help bridge that divide and are supposed to be or should be really the experts on the evidence that is required to bring these products to market. The other thing that I really love about my job is that I get exposure to healthcare markets outside of the U U.S., and that I get to observe how other countries approach decision-making, how they decide to allocate healthcare resources, um, most of the major markets outside the U.S. are under the umbrella of some sort of a national health care system. And a lot of times we're, when we're making those submissions for reimbursement, we're going to the government authority. And um, it's interesting to me sort of what types of evidence that other markets will allow and consider and what types of evidence sort of move the needle in terms of getting them from a no to a yes. That is sort of a very interesting thing to me, and I really love that part about my job. Let me, let me divert a little bit and ask you a question with your opinion only, of course, with the caveat and disclaimer up front. Who do you think is doing healthcare right? Because what, our, our healthcare now is almost consuming 18% of our GDP in this country, so who is doing it right? Yeah, that's a really tough question. I think there's no one system that works the best or perfectly. Um, I tend to sort of lean towards the, if I could make some sort of hybrid, I guess, between um, how Germany and the UK approach healthcare. Um, Germany is often kind of regarded as sort of a clinical effectiveness market. A okay. lot of their decision is driven by the clinical evidence. 
Um, but they also have this semi-free market approach where they do allow free pricing for the first year before you have to come and negotiate. Hmm. Um, so it does have, like the U.S., a little bit of a, a free market aspect, at least for a short term, before negotiations are required statutorily. Um, the U.K., I think, more than other markets and is sort of regarded as the classical cost effectiveness market where they consider more health economic information and quality of life information than I think um, some other markets do. And there's other markets like that too, but um, I I guess that would be maybe some sort of quasi um, hybrid of the two, maybe perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I haven't looked at other global healthcare systems now for quite some time, but there's got to be better models out there. So with that, I guess, is my second part to the question, you know, what challenges do you face in your role? I'd say specific to kind of the role that I'm doing right now, working in rare genetic disease or really any rare disease and being responsible for generating evidence in a rare disease, really the challenge quite simply because of the epidemiology can be finding patients. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling like you have to uncover every possible stone to to find them and get a sample that is robust enough to do research that is meaningful or can sort of generate the evidence that we need. Um, I think in the rare genetic disease space, that continues to be a challenge. And um, that, that's not specific to, to my role now or um, any of the work I'm doing specifically, but I think anybody working in the rare space could resonate with that. I also think, um, and this applies to, I think, not necessarily HEOR, but a, a lot of types of roles, but speed and agility, um, speed to, whether it's speed to market or speed to publish or speed to finish enrollment, um, there's often sort of a challenge in terms of how you balance speed, agility, and doing that without trying to compromise quality when achieving it. Um And then I think personally, and this is not really specific to my role um, or HEOR, but one of the things that um, I grapple with personally is with respect to my pharmacy license. And I've been, um, I I passed the NAPLEX in 2010, so I'm coming up on 10 years and I've never really been in a a true practice or dispensing role. And I sort of think to myself, um, is it, should I keep renewing my license? Should I, should I hang on to it? Um, or is it time to let it go? And that's something that I, I sort of grapple with personally and um, haven't really made a decision yet. But um, I'll have to renew in September 2020 if I decide to keep my license. Um, but that's, I guess, more of a personal challenge in terms of my career. That's really interesting. That's the first time I've heard that as a personal challenge in the non-traditional healthcare role in space. But it's um, something I ponder too, because I have to maintain three licenses myself right now, and it's a lot of work to do that. So, so um, Aaron, let's talk a little bit about your office setting. Do you work remotely? Do you work at a home office? How does that work? And and how do you manage, you know, the basics of your day? Like, take us through a typical day for Aaron. Yeah, it's a very unique thing for me. I live in rural New Hampshire, and interestingly about, I think nine out of 10 jobs in biotech right now are concentrated in the greater Boston area or the Silicon Valley, San Francisco area. Um, the beauty of the, of the 
company that I work for right now is that they really subscribe to flexible work arrangements. And that allows me to work from home when I need to, but I also have an office and spend days in the office quite regularly. My home is uh, about a hundred miles or so from the office. So I think that classifies me as what would be deemed a super commuter. And um, so I do work from home a good deal, but I also super commute into Boston one, sometimes two days a week. It waxes and wanes, but um, a typical day at home for me is very different from a typical day in the office for me. Um, I, t- I try to, or I tend to try to load most of the you know, required face-to-face meetings for my days in the office. So my days in the office are kind of spent bouncing from conference room to conference room and meeting with, with various different teams and people. And um, my days at home, I really try to do a lot of my deep thinking, deep work, and um, things that require hours to look at documents or to review things or to review studies and that kind of thing. So um I like that no one day is kind of is the same. Um, it's not monotonous at all. It doesn't really feel like a, a hamster wheel grind, if you will. Um, every day is completely different, and I I sort of like that variety. But um, it 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 is definitely a challenge. I think living far from the office, but I'm I've grown accustomed to it. I guess um, I kind of had the same arrangement when I worked at Takeda as well. So. Um, living in rural New Hampshire and working in Boston for a pharmaceutical company is, is certainly an interesting balance in terms of, you know, quality of life at home and excelling in my career as well. So I know we talked a little bit about students and your best advice for them, but what about maybe the mid-career pharmacist? Maybe they've been in a institutional setting or retail setting and they're more interested in, you know, looking more at uh, health, health economics and outcomes research, but maybe they don't have the luxury of going back to earn a fellowship. So I know you mentioned ICE4. What other resources would you recommend to those kind of mid-career professionals that are maybe looking for something non-traditional? Yeah, again, I, I go back to network, network, network. Um, I think there's a lot of contract opportunities out there that might be an opportunity for a foot in the door. Um, I see, at least in my inbox on LinkedIn, um, opportunities for contract HEOR work or contract medical writing. And um, a lot of a lot of the HEOR roles do really sort of focus on the the, the, the right experience and the specific skill sets. And I think it's difficult for particularly a retailer community pharmacist to pivot into that without the right experience. Um, I hate to say it, but they just don't get it. Mm. And um, the, but I do think that there are skill sets that are transferable. When you look at um, like a pathway of evidence synthesis, for example, um, I would expect any pharmacist to be able to read and dissect a journal article appropriately, whether or not they worked in Walgreens for 10 years or um, did something else for a long time. Um, I think those types of core skill sets are quite transferable. Um, being able to read studies, synthesize evidence, connect the dots. Um, I also think that there are a number of organizations out there, not just ISPOR, but um, that that are opening doors for women in bio. Um, and, and that is one of the organizations that I'm a, a part of as well as women in bio. And 
Um, they sort of have a number of mentoring opportunities for, for women in life sciences or biotech. And um, I think that that organization has particularly a way of sort of exposing women in life science to other types of careers in life science as well. Um, mass bio is another one that's kind of specific to the Boston area, but, um, I think you really have to, again, network, 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 and get out there and talk to the people who are in the jobs that you desire and, um, ask them again, kind of, what does it take and ask around about in terms of who's hiring? There's, there's so much opportunity in the HUR market access space right now. Um, the talent market really is kind of insane and it's incredibly difficult to find good HUR and market access candidates with the right mix of experience and skill sets. Um, there's so much opportunity to the point where, you know, one can be quite selective as I was just six months ago with multiple offers in my hands and trying to decide which move I wanted to make next. I think within HEOR too, there's so many avenues that one can subspecialize in, whether it's real world evidence, clinical outcomes, assessments, patient reported outcomes, or health economics, evidence synthesis. There's so many different types of expertise and, and types of projects that one could really focus on if they wanted to. Yeah, I, I know a couple years ago, I went to the Harvard School of Public Health and took a an executive program for about a week on health economics and outcomes research. And I noticed there were a lot of field-based medical science liaisons and or practitioners there who were trying to learn more about that space. So are there any other certificates, certifications, any other kind of like not just a one and done CE program out there that you've seen that does a really good job in kind of covering the basics of health economics and outcomes research? Yeah, not really that I know of. No, I mean, ISPOR, International Society for Pharmacoeconomics and Outcomes Research, they offer a, a number of short courses. But again, those are kind of those one and done sort of things. Um, there are a number of online master's programs. I know Thomas Jefferson offers one in applied health economics and outcomes research, Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia, the University of Florida, which is my alma mater and where I obtained my master's in applied pharmacoeconomics. And a lot of these programs are online and they're meant to be paced for working professionals. And I think that's perhaps one way to, to get some relevant experience and to, to pivot back in. I know a lot of mid-career professionals might not have the the luxury of taking on a pay cut or um, taking on another degree or the sort of time commitment that goes along with that. But there there are tools out there for working professionals um, that that might be one way to do it. Cool. So uh, let's let's put away the shop talk here and and talk for a second about our own nerdy little passion around honeybees. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about that when you filled out the form to be part of the podcast? You talked about honeybees, and I kind of perked up when I read about that. So explain to our audience what your passion is around honeybees. Well, Aaron, this is a topic I am passionate about, and um, it it started as sort of a maybe an experiment. I won't even say a side hustle, really. That my husband and I spent some time and in investment into to start keeping honeybees, and we're about three years in, and um, it's quite frankly the most humbling I think experience I've ever had. 
and um, sort of coming to terms with um, epic failure in a lot of ways. <laughs> but it's beekeeping is not for the faint at heart. It is very difficult, and there's so many challenges that go along with that. Um, you know, where we are right now is, especially in New Hampshire, where we have a, a very northern cold climate, it's beekeeping here is completely different than it is even, say, in Virginia, um, which is not that much far different, um, you know, it, it completely different than, you know, beekeeping in Louisiana, too. It's just a whole different beast up here. But um trying to get a beehive to survive the winter, number one, and um, which we have not been able to do yet after three years. But um, I know people are eager to buy honey from us and really cheering us on. And um, here we are sort of meeting, being faced with new challenges every year on the beekeeping front. And um, it's certainly been um, an interesting ride. Um, one of those things that, one of the challenges we had uh two seasons ago was a black bear who oh. came in, annihilated all of our beehives. Oh, no. um, you know, and he, he, we had an electric fence and um, you don't expect these things. And last, last season we had our first swarm, which was an interesting thing to experience um, live. It was sort of happening right in front of me as I was suiting up to go out and inspect the beehive. They started to swarm and, um, we tried to collect the swarm, but it took off before we were able to do so. Um, but anyways, it's it's been um, very humbling, and we still enjoy doing it very much so and kind of hope to continue doing so. And maybe we'll have some success eventually, but um, it's certainly been an interesting and humbling hobby. And what's the why behind it, Erin? Is it the sustainability piece? Is it... Um, the environment, like what's the hook for you and your husband to be involved in this? Because it, it clearly sounds like it's a passion project. Yeah, I think it's all of the above. Um, hashtag save the bees, hashtag bring back the bees. But um, we know that bees are experiencing, honeybees are experiencing a number of issues. And I think I saw some article in NPR um, or, or that said something to the effect of about I think 40% or maybe up to 60% of all beehives in New Hampshire didn't make it through the winter last year. And so the survivability is very low and, um, you know, we're trying to get better at it and we're trying to learn from beekeepers who are more experienced and more established. And, um, one of the things, I think one of the biggest challenges is sourcing bees to start, start our season, We've had because we have not been able to get a beehive through the winter, we essentially have to kind of start over every year. And that starting over means we have to source bees from somewhere. And I'm trying to also through networking and reaching out to some other beekeepers that I know locally here, try to find other sources for honeybees so we can find some bees, maybe perhaps with better northern genetics. Wow. So, yeah, I could talk all day about the honeybees because it's fascinating to me. But in closing, Erin, um, any kind of general advice overall for non-traditional healthcare professionals? I know we were talking before we recorded about the fact that I think there's still a tremendous opportunity for most pharmacy schools to expose students to a variety of career paths, of which one is health economics and outcomes research. Anything else you'd like to add to that before we close it up? Yeah, I, I will say that 
what I'm experiencing or what I'm observing and seeing in health economics and outcomes research is kind of quite a juxtaposition to what's going on in traditional pharmacy careers where there is really limited or no job opportunities for new grads and for new professionals. And that's quite the opposite in HUR. There's so many job opportunities and so many positions that need to be filled. I think in a lot of ways, pharmacy schools, if they're not exposing students to non-traditional career paths, are doing a large disservice to their students. And I think pharmacy schools really should be trying to expose pharmacy students to non-traditional career paths, whether it's health economics outcomes research or market access, or there's a number of opportunities, not just within HUR and market access, whether it's pharmacovigilance or clinical trials or there's so much opportunity right now in the machine learning space and artificial intelligence and um, digital digital trials, wearables, um, all kinds of things. There's, I mean, it's a very dynamic space right now, and there's a, a opportunity abounds. And I think that pharmacy schools really should be exposing students to other types of career paths that don't involve standing in a community pharmacy for 14 hours a day or doing a residency. Could not agree more. So in closing, Erin, where can people connect with you? I think the best way to connect with me professionally is on LinkedIn. And I think in terms of face-to-face or in real life, ISPOR is probably the best place. I tend to, I think almost every year, except for the one year I was on maternity leave, I have attended the ISPOR annual meeting. So that is sort of the hotspot for HUR professionals to congregate every year and mostly find myself there almost every year. Um, but yeah, those are probably the best two places to connect with me. Well, with that, Aaron Zagadilov, thank you for being part of the podcast as Director of Health Economics and Outcomes Research for Rare Diseases. I know I've been asked a lot about this arena, and now I feel like I learned a little bit more about that as well as beekeeping today. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me, Erin. It's been a pleasure, and I'm happy to talk more about bees or H-E-O-R anytime. (laughs) Thanks, Erin. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dr. Erin L. Albert Show. I hope you found today's episode super informative, as have I. If you're interested in connecting with me, I would love to hear your show topic ideas, and I'm certainly not limited to healthcare at this point. So feel free to reach out to me at Twitter at Erin L. Albert. You can find me at LinkedIn as well, or at my website, www.erinalbert.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.